Live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, CAB Incorporated presents Celebrating Powerhouse Women. Now, here's your host, Amanda Pierch. Hello and welcome to the premiere of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women series here on Business Radio X. We are excited to have you join us for our first ever episode, a series that salutes and recognizes women who are making an impact. This show is presented by CAB Incorporated and brought to you in part by Cat Rangers. Since 1982, CAB Incorporated has been a distinguished leader in manufacturing and global sourcing, serving a variety of industries including infrastructure, hydraulics, automotive, and rail with their precision machined iron and steel products. As a woman-owned company, CAB is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the Celebrating Powerhouse Women Series. I could not be more excited to welcome our two amazing business leaders here today in studio for our first show. Terry Jondal is the CEO and majority owner of CAB Incorporated. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. And we have Miss Deborah Smithhart Oglesby as the director of Cedar Fair Entertainment and the retired chair of Denny's Restaurants. Deborah, I'm honored to have you here. Good morning. Many thanks to both of you for joining me, and the first and foremost, we'd like to thank you, Terry and CAB, for underwriting and sponsoring this series. It would not be possible without your support. Tell us a little bit about why you're passionate about this series. Well, when y'all brought the idea to me, it was particularly interesting because I've, I've always thought that there are a lot of untold stories of women in Gwinnett, and there's a lot of uh, journeys that need to be shared with others because younger and older women see how others have accomplished what they have and by hearing those journeys it it helps create pathways for their own lives. I would agree. Pathways to success. Speaking of success, let's let's gear towards Deborah here. Deborah has a phenomenal story about her road to success beginning at the early age of 14. Yes, that's a bit earlier than most, and it wasn't because I necessarily had a passion that I knew I was going to follow. Uh, I decided to leave home at 14. I had a very difficult home life. It was a very violent household, and I felt like I could take care of myself better than my home environment, and so I took off and uh, spent time with a number of different friends and got my first job so that I had a way to support myself. Um, actually worked at Taco Bell. It was the very first place that would hire me at 14. And that was the very beginning of a number of jobs in the restaurant industry. I did have a passion for food. I like to eat it, one. <laughs> but I did enjoy cooking as well and had been cooking for myself since about five or six. So that was a good, good match for me. And um, that's actually where I started out. Started out at age 14. And I yes. do see here, do you mind if I mention where? No. Okay. At Taco Bell, which is currently one of my favorite places to eat as well. Right. And that's where you acquired your determination and your grit at a very young age. Exactly. Tell us where that led you from there. You know, I had the fortune experience, and this has happened many times throughout my career, where I, I worked with individuals who saw perhaps more in me than I could see in myself at that time. And so I had the opportunity to work with a manager at Taco Bell who felt like I had a lot more uh, possibilities. Mm -hmm. And every chance he had, he would give me the opportunity to take on more responsibility, take on different roles. And that led to um, taking a cashier position and then closing the restaurant and a number of different things. And so I began to realize that numbers were very easy for me. It was almost like I had a photographic memory for them. So he convinced me to go and sit for my GED. I'm, I'm probably 16 by now. And to get that behind me and then to actually go to college, which terrified me at the time. But I went to one of the local community colleges and enrolled for a bookkeeping course so that I could learn more about numbers and move into the back office mm-hmm. and, you know, make a little bit more money. Um, almost got derailed. I got pregnant at the time and got married at Ooh. the time. My husband was one of the very last to uh, be deployed to Vietnam. So he was mm-hmm. one of the very last draft. 
and I was left with a small infant on my own. Uh, now having to work two jobs, you know, to try to pay the rent and do all the things that you need to do for a small baby and um, was quite a challenge at the time. I can imagine. Yes. And you went on to acquire your accounting degree, correct? I did. I did. I kept working, kept pushing. I have to, I mean, I have to stop for a, a moment here because it's hard to imagine. How do you do this at 16? You've got a baby. You really, you've got a GED, but not much of an education. Um, you're trying to make everything fit. And I did happen to be at the time living in assisted housing and we were in blocks of eight so there were eight apartments and we all happened in our my block to be single women mm-hmm. and some of them worked nights some of them worked days one was going to nursing school I was trying to go to school and none of us really had much family and didn't have you know husband spousal support or whatnot and so we created our own family and one of us would cook and everybody would come that evening we would take care of one another's kids we would balance out for one another but it gave us each one a sense of community to an incredible support group and each of us was able to pursue you know what they were going after at the time for me it was getting that college education because i felt like um, one, I, I wanted to, to move into more of a, an office environment, and I needed it for my own legitimacy. I needed to know that I was able to do that, that I, I was smart enough and I was determined enough, and I didn't carry any scars from leaving home so young. And you achieved. I did. I did. What you mentioned about um, your community is very profound. I, I often see women finding strength within each other yes. in, an, in a setting similar to that. And the fact that you were able to establish and all lift each other up in that scenario is very admirable. Yes. And I only mention that because often I have women say, well, how, I can't do that because I have a small child or I don't, I'm not married. I don't have support at home. And you can, you find those support networks, you know, through different resources. So it, it may not be traditional, but it creates a family and a support network that lets you do what you need to do at whatever point you are in your life. Right. And then carrying on from there, Deborah, tell us a little bit about some of the things that you learned during that foundational time that carried you on to become the executive that you were for the restaurant chains. Well, in the future, I think one of the things um, probably that makes a, a big difference is you you experience so many things um, going through that process. There's never enough. You're always struggling to to make ends meet, to have enough time to be able to cover all the responsibilities that you have, and so you're always trying to balance and, and trade off. And as I moved forward, I think it gave me tremendous empathy for individuals that worked on my teams and worked for me um, to really understand some of the other challenges before they ever came into the office, you know, what they might be carrying, why there might not be a smile on their face that morning, what they were concerned or worried about. And um, I think it just made me more open to to try to think more about people's personal motivations and what they might need, um, you know, to really provide encouragement or to make things easier so that when they did get to the office or to their jobs, they could do what they were there to do. And I'll give an example of that. Um, My early days were spent at Brinker International, which is in Dallas. Many of you might recognize them. Uh, they operate Chili's. At one point, they owned On the Border, Macaroni Grill, Maggiano's, um, which we have here in Atlanta as well. So a big portfolio of restaurant concepts. But when we started out, it was Chili's. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of work to do. And the accounting staff, they hired me there to build an accounting shop, they call it. And the accounting staff was mostly young women and many who had small children and had lots of responsibilities and 
we would typically have to ask people to come in and work on Saturdays or when you got to the end of the month. We created a babysitting club. Wow. So we would have some of our staff that um, didn't have children or responsibilities at home. They would come in and actually have a babysitting um, opportunity where people could bring their kids to work. Those that needed to work their jobs could. Those that didn't would take care of all the kids and keep them engaged and active. And then we would bring lunch in so that everybody got fed. Yeah. But it, it just goes back to that really understanding that everyone comes to the office with their own story and their own burdens and their own responsibilities. And how could we make it a better experience for them so that we could really pull out the very best of them and them not have to worry about you know what they'd left behind. That's amazing. I'm, I'm sure that served you well, setting you apart as a leader. Also, you mentioned the word empathy specifically. I think we've all been in a position where um, our superiors lacked empathy and the fact that you were able to understand um, true and tried what might be going on behind the scenes probably cultivated phenomenal employee work life relationships yes. and they held you in very high regard as a result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it did. And it creates a great culture, great morale mm -hmm. in the workplace. Um, it can work the other way, too, because when you've gone through it, you know. And so your radar for uh, excuses and whatnot is, is pretty fine, it's too. Yeah. Um, so I think it also enables you to be pretty direct. I think I'm known for being very direct. Mm -hmm. you, you're going to hear the good. You're going to hear the ugly. But you're going to hear it quick so that you have an opportunity to respond to it and correct and, it and um i think that that works well mm -hmm. as well now i do just have to to tip my hat to you because i have your lovely bio here in front of me and there's some pretty um profound words here in describing your time there at brinker um saying that you shattered several glass ceilings as a woman at brinker in an all-male leadership environment and that you then became the first female ceo to occupy a board seat Tell us a little bit about your road to, to reaching that seat. Well, it would have been CFO at the time. Uh -huh. um, the restaurant industry early on was primarily male outside of the restaurants. I mean, a lot of women work in restaurants early on. Um, so that, that was one, one thing. I remember when I wanted to convince our board there that I wanted the CFO role. I had an accounting background. I got my degree. Um, it was quite a quite a conversation, and in fact, when it came right down to it, it became almost a um, an interview process. I had a counterpart who was male. We were both very qualified. The board was leaning towards he taking that position, and they they actually put us auditioned us. So we were getting ready to do a bond offering, and they said, here's what we'll do. We have to do a road show in Europe, and we have to do a road show in the U.S. He'll do the European road show. You do the U.S. road show. We'll see how you each do. Thinking, oh, nobody goes through this, but, you know, we did. And um, as we wrapped that up, then I was offered the role as CFO. There so, were very few CFOs across the restaurant industry at all right. at that point. Especially that are women. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That are women, mm -hmm. certainly. Yeah, I mean, clearly there were a lot of CFOs, but mm -hmm. not female. Right. No. Well, it sounds like you blew that, that out of the water. It, it, yeah, yes. Because yes. you got it. Well, congratulations right. to you. Right. I know that you've had, had a, a long journey to success, and currently you are. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now today. So today I'm what you would I guess you'd say I'm semi-retired um, I spend time working with boards I do some consulting mm -hmm. with boards primarily or with executive management teams I tend to be pulled into situations where there's a transition so a lot of times in restaurant companies maybe a founder that's developed this baby and loves it and thinks it's wonderful and they get up to about five or ten restaurants and now it has to have a professional management team to really move forward and grow and so I might help that transition for the founder to be able to give that up and hand it over to management so it's a bit 
being a marriage counselor psychologist <laughs> and understanding what the needs of the business are but appreciating the legacy of the founder um, so I find myself called for those kinds of situations I tend to get engaged with boards where companies are going through transition so um, in some cases it's been as the as a result of a proxy battle and the board is being reseated and so I've gone in and you're building a new board a new culture you know and carrying the company forward under a lot of financial pressure um, in other cases it's an industry that's in transition uh, there are a lot of changes coming and so there there's a need to have a, a very acute understanding of strategy and thinking strategically and on a lot of different levels at the same time um, and balancing that with the human side of mm -hmm. it because we all come to a boardroom too with our personalities and our responsibilities and our egos and everything else and that has to be balanced um, you know to get the best out of everyone the best results right speaking of balance and Terry please jump in if you'd like something that's hard for for myself to achieve and I'm sure you both can attest is work-life balance I like to approach that differently and call it work-life integration because I integrate my life into what I do for work. But maybe one of you ladies could give us some tips or tricks about your success in balancing the responsibilities of your roles in addition to your own personal life. Well, I'd love to hear Deborah the, the rest of her story about um, how she's found more time for herself. And, and, yeah. um, Within your large roles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, um, this is a tough one to answer because there there's a point in time, and I think my generation was particularly um, strong about this in terms of telling us that we could do everything and have everything. Mm -hmm. So we could be super moms and we could be engaged in our kids' activities and we could be headed for the boardroom and we could be, you know, recognized in our professions and all of these things. And I do think it is possible to do those things. It is rare that you can do every one of those things at the same time. Right. Exactly. So I think of it a little bit more like if you imagine a juggler that's balancing spinning plates. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while you have to let go of one because you're very engaged and entrenched in another, another two, situation. Yeah. And so that one's spinning over here. And we become artful at, oh, okay, that one's slowing down. I need to give it a little bit of more attention. And I can let this one glide for a while. And that's the best way that I would describe it. And um, Truly a juggling act. I, it is. I also think <laughs> uh, Deborah and I have known each other a while, and I think that both of us um, over time have become more selective about making sure that the things that we're involved in, we can really bring true value. Mm -hmm. We don't just get involved in things All because we actually learned how to say no. Mm -hmm. And, and we're... Um, both more selective about that and her role and, and I, I would like you to hear more about your public board responsibilities I think um, you have a really unique and powerful perspective on uh, public boards and your role at Denny's and your and your role at Cedar Fair so maybe you can share how you became involved at Denny's and and what that I think your 15 year tenure there yeah I, w I was there for 15 and years and what Cedar Fair is and what they do so mm -hmm. folks know right um well let me talk about denny's initially and and i was approached for denny's because i had a background in restaurants mm -hmm. but denny's was coming out of bankruptcy at the time um, they had just settled one of the largest uh, civil rights um, lawsuits. lawsuits in probably u.s history and so the company was literally being reformed and the board was being put together uh, with individuals that um, knew the industry and that brought different talents prior to that it was mostly bankruptcy specialists and i i would say at denny's and really any board i've ever 
been involved in, I've always had a, a need or a desire or a pull to jump in and get involved. I can relate to that. And Denny certainly gave me that opportunity. And um, I think I was there maybe three or four years, and we were going through a lot of change, a lot of strategic change. I mean, it was exciting and really seeing some changes in the company and um, changes in the stock value and all the things you'd, you'd want, but it was, like, struggling. Um, and so they asked me to take on the chair role, and I did, and we were really able to, to make some progress uh, moving forward from there. But I think it's, it's like anything else. When you um, are developing a board, I mean, you're putting together a team of best athletes. You, you want to bring people to the board that have the skill sets and the background and um, that can benefit the company and help guide it forward. But you're also mindful of culture and what kind of culture do you want to be and who do you want to sit around mm-hmm. the boardroom with. And, you know, if you get into the trenches – and you look up and you know that you've got people alongside you that are, are there and they're dependable mm-hmm. and they're serious and they're prepared and all of those things. So it was a very interesting ride there. We went through another proxy battle at uh, Denny's um, probably about halfway through my chair mm-hmm. role. And, that and she was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal a in few that times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. A few times. That was a nasty proxy fight. And as a result of that, though, we did have to make some immediate changes um, because of investor demand. So I actually stepped in and ran the company for a year wow. as CEO, um, which was was a, a total shift. And I was on the road constantly. It's a franchise-based company, mm-hmm. so we had franchisees all over the world. And I needed to get out and actually talk to people and visit restaurants and so forth so it was quite a whirlwind Mm. Uh, and then stepping back from that same thing put a new team built a new team put it in place and then um, was able to step back a little bit from that Uh, today I sit on the board of Cedar Fair which uh, we run amusement parks Mm -hmm. and it is a fun fun business sounds like I think our closest park uh, to Atlanta would be Carowinds okay. up in the Carolinas. We own Knott's Berry Farm, Cedar Point up in Ohio, um, Canada's Wonderland, Canada. and a number of other Schlitterbahn. Schlitterbahn we, we just bought this summer and added it to the portfolio. So um, this is a, a company, one of my first board meetings, it was, again, a totally different Um, situation Mm -hmm. as you're sitting there you've had lunch you're about an hour or two into the afternoon session and everybody's sort of getting that sleepy Uh, look on your face and they're like hey let's go out and ride a couple of roller Roller coasters coasters. i was thinking no kidding that's exactly what we did that's exactly Uh what we did so it is it's a really fun company and it's a changing industry now because today uh with so many different um ways to be entertained Mm -hmm. you know how do you spend your time for entertainment right and remain relevant video game do you do virtual reality do you do Mm esports do you go ride a roller coaster you know how do you do that and how do families do that with their Mm -hmm. kids and so that's a lot about what we spend the experience yeah exactly this i think we have a board meeting later this month and we're all going to star wars oh nice so we're going to go down and do the star wars ride and then we're going to do the behind the scenes and and all of that and um so it's a lot of fun i want to tag along deborah oh (laughs) (laughs) you get a unique way to interact with um your team when you take them out of that office setting or the the restaurant or the the park itself or the board and put them in something fun that you guys can all collaborate with together well it's that and you want your board members to understand the business Mm -hmm. it's hard to sit in a boardroom and make decisions about a business if you you if you're not in touch Mm -hmm. and some businesses are more difficult than others um, but we make a lot of decisions on strategy um, we need to understand who our customer is mm-hmm. and why they're in the parks and what's important to them. To them. Yeah. Very yeah. neat. Well, Terry, it sounds like we need to go try out one of these roller coasters. I agree. Well, oh. I don't know about the roller coaster. <laughs> roller coasters. <laughs> Something like that. 
I'll go watch it from the bottom. <laughs> uh, I do. I'm not a big roller coaster rider, but I do like to go watch them, and I love walking through the park and just feeling the energy yeah. of the park. Yeah, so exactly. That is fun. Well, I guess, Deborah, I had one last question for you before yes. we parlay to Terry. Um, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment thus far in your career? Oh, my goodness. That's a, that's a tough one. Or in life. Yeah, well, um, I, I would have to say, I mean, in, in your career, I think it's like we were talking about plates a while ago. Mm -hmm. Every step of your career, there's going to be something else that stands out. Um, I think in life, for me, it was my personal battle with cancer. And um, something that hit totally out of the blue, very unexpected, um, I, in fact, I had just come back from a board meeting um, at Denny's and found myself in the emergency room thinking maybe I had a kidney stone or something. I was in a lot of pain, and um, the, um, you know, ER doctor had to come out and say, no, that's not what it is. I said, no, I know that's what it is. I've had this before. I know exactly what <laughs> it is. She argued with him. <laughs> He's like, no, it's, it's over here. I'm like, no, it is. I know what it is, you know. And finally he says, you have cancer. And, you know, it's just like, what? I don't know that I heard that right. Mm -hmm. So I had stage four ovarian cancer. And um, not a diagnosis that you want to get at, at that particular point in your life. It's one of the most lethal uh, cancers for women. It is one that is generally, and one of the reasons it's lethal is because it, it is generally undetected until it's at a very advanced stage. Yeah, it's, it's not something that we test for. It's not like when you go and have your, you know, annual exam and you get your pap smear and all that, that they're they going to find yeah. it. Right. So um, it began uh, just a whirlwind journey for us. Um, I, I will say probably one point. We t I talked earlier about building these communities mm -hmm. and these teams, and this was a situation where when word got out in our community, whether it was, you know, people that we knew through Gwinnett Medical or people that Friends. through the chamber, yeah. through the community, um, the circle of people that came forward that wanted to help, help. and get us to the right place. Mm -hmm. um, and I approach it like I do anything else. It's like, okay, here it is. Let's figure this out. Let's get the best team put together, get the best doctors. You best know, what's the treatment? Where are we going to go? How are we going to get it? And um, then I had a good network of friends. I, I would get a care package from Terry every Aww. other day with something. Here's a pair of socks or a mug <laughs> or whatever, but um, just to get through that process. And we elected to do, um, because of that, and then I'd started research, mm -hmm. lots of research to understand the disease and, and what the options were and what the prognosis and once we got a, a handle with that, had the courage then to say, okay, we're going to do the very most aggressive treatment right. we possibly can. And tell her about that because oh that's my God. Really, it's, it's interesting. It, it is. Do you want me to tell her? No, well, you it, tell her. It's. Um, I would expect nothing less than an aggressive approach from you. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I went in initially expecting we did all of our my um, – oncology surgeon is at Duke Medical up in North Carolina and my oncologist is here um, at Gwinnett Medical now Northside. Um, so we went initially expecting they'd go in take everything out and we'd be fine and so I wake up and I thought man I don't feel too bad and he goes well we can't do anything. He said the cancer's too advanced you're gonna have to go back and do chemo for three months and if we can get the cancer reduce mm -hmm. then we'll be able to do the surgery so i'm like okay so we come back and i go through the chemo and we were able to get a reduced level so um the plan then is they go in and they remove all the Everything. visible cancer mm -hmm. and um he called me about two or three days before and he said well we've just got some a new trial finished and we'd like to try a, a new procedure on you he said instead of just doing the robotic we're going to open you up from like your breastbone to your pubic bone we're going to just flop it open wow. we're going to take everything out clean it off snip the stuff that has cancer 
put everything back in. They're going to run these hoses in you, sew you up, put heated chemo in there at like 107 degrees for two and a half hours while we turn you and massage your stomach so we can get everything washed out. Oh. Then we're going to open you up again, take the hoses out, put everything back. Isn't make that sure crazy? It's, it's so graphic. <laughs> I know. And I'm going, okay, so what do I do? I Lay go, there. You're no, asleep. No, 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 no. I go order the medical textbook with the DVDs because I want to see, see what it. they're going to do. Yeah. So he calls me one day and he's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm looking at this procedure, procedure. here. I want to be sure I know what you're in, in, in on. And I think it might have been Terry. He goes, Deborah, you're not doing the surgery. You're going to be out. They're going to do it. <laughs> you want to know what they're doing to you. I understand. But it's just sort of my nature. I mm-hmm. wanted to understand it. So we did go through that. And um, we had a few little glitches along the way. Got back. Got an infection. Got the flu. Number of things. Went through three more rounds of chemo. And then um, I just... 18 months still cancer free oh hallelujah which is so, incredible which yeah. is incredible congratulations incredible so you'd so. say it was the experimental or cutting edge procedure would you attribute uh, clearly that I, yeah. clearly that i mean getting the the right team Medical together team. in the right approach right. and so i i think you you have to ask a lot of questions you've got to really understand what you have i mean you're the tendency is to crawl under a rock and just hide because it's just something you don't expect to hear um so i think that's first i think second you've you've just got to have a mindset that this is doable Mm -hmm. that you're going to put together uh, you've got the team you've got the approach you're going to do everything you can self-care to keep yourself strong in spirit Mm -hmm and mentally and um, we were again so fortunate to have a community Mm. of people around us that um, you know just never wavered Mm -hmm. I mean I my I would have girlfriends come by I could barely walk to the mailbox I mean I was just so weak but boy they'd come and drag me out every day said you're walking to the mailbox Mm -hmm. (laughs) get a little bit of fresh air yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so it it takes all of those things well Um, it was interesting watching her evolution because uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, referred to her as the ice princess because she's she's so careful about about her communication Uh in the business world and so watching her allow the mm-hmm. community to come together and, and in in ways that you would never expect if you're mm, that yeah. kind of a private person. Huh. So she's sort of blossomed. Mm-hmm. Now she's a, a, she's a bit of a, a social bit. butterfly. <laughs> well, that is oh. a wonderful story. And congratulations. Thank to you so much. Free. And congratulations for approaching it with such a head-on strategy and allowing... Oh, she would have done the surgery if they'd have let her. She would have done it herself. Maybe not. With the microscope and the lasers. But I can relate, Deborah. But you can do the surgery now in case... (laughs) Yeah, in an emergency, if, you know, like a plane went down and somebody needed it right away, I could just swipe that out. But, um, no, I think it's just... it, it, It gives you... You know, at the end of the day, whether it's in your career or as mothers or anything it's fear that holds us back it's fear of what somebody might think it's fear that we're going to do something wrong it's fear of what do other people think um and so i think that when you're faced with something like this the 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 first thing is to try to break that fear Mm -hmm. down because there's so much that you don't know and there's so much that's out of your control so what can you do you know, what can you get your head around and, you know, get a good sense mm-hmm. or feel for? And I think you hit the nail on the head right there. It is the fear of unknown. I know yeah, I, yeah. I experienced yeah, that exactly. personally. And much like you said, when you just go in with your head down and you face it, you know, you might have some uh, perspiration <laughs> during the time <laughs> of, but thereafter, hey, you're in it. You got through it. Yeah. Yep. What a success story. Thank yeah. you so much Thank for you. sharing with us, Deborah. I do have one last thing. Yes. If you could... If you could say um, anything to the young professionals out there that are trying to achieve from a bottom to top type type scenario similar to the one that you did, what would you say to them um, throughout their journey? Throughout their journey, well, I think again we just touched on it is that is the fear. It's whatever that fear is, um, 
and I think back whether it was this battle with cancer or it was a kid leaving home at 14 or a new mom at 16 it's it's getting up in the morning and it's one foot on the floor at a time yep it's one foot in front of the The other other. Mm -hmm. sometimes we just think about things as being so big and so overwhelming and we can only do it one step at a time and so it's it's really breaking things down into steps that you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. with at the time and once you achieve that then what's the next one and once you achieve that then what's the next one and I, I, I think that's really key. the, the key mm-hmm. to a, approaching anything that you've got ahead of you that you haven't seen before. So the old adage, eating an elephant one bite at a time, would hold true. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. having a hard time with the eating an elephant. <laughs> eating I know, me too. One bite at but, time. but it is true. <laughs> the same concept. Yeah, wonderful. I so. And I do want to leave um, our listeners with just something that you have here in your bio, which is it speaks loudly to me that there's nothing in life too difficult to tackle. And you reference whether it be proxy battles or battling cancer, and you are a true testament to that. Thank, Thank you, you Deborah. Thanks. And now we're going to turn to Miss Terry over here. She's been in the catbird seat. Terry also has a wonderful story. Um, Terry is the CEO and majority owner of CAB Incorporated, which is doing great things here in our community. I'll let you tell us a little bit about CAB, and okay. then we'll transition into Okay, your- well, we're an industrial products company, and, and as you mentioned earlier, we're involved in a lot of iron and, and steel products that cover a variety of industries. We are headquartered here in Buford. I have a manufacturing operation in Texas and a manufacturing operation in Washington State. I have a warehouse in Canada and I have engineering and quality assurance operations in uh, China, India and distribution in South Africa. So sounds really cool. I mean, but it really is all about just like Deborah said, putting one foot in front of the other. It's the same stuff. You just slightly different twists on it. Uh, But I uh, have been in this parts of this industry since 1984. But in 1995, I became a shareholder uh, of CAB and uh, at the time we were doing three and a half million in revenue we're now doing about 50 million in revenue we actually prior to the fall of Lehman had uh, spiked at over a hundred million um, of course steel prices were significantly higher then but uh, the early days of the wind energy market were, were pretty good to us so I've shepherded the growth of the organization through a lot of uh, hurdles and and business evolution cycles including a crash and um at high growth and and high fast retraction right. so it's been a um incredibly painful journey at times mm-hmm. but also incredibly joyful because we've tried to build as as much as we could um and still maintain control and i became a majority shareholder i guess five or six years ago and that's when we became a women's business enterprise mm-hmm. certified company and um it's it's wonderful to be able to be in control of your own destiny mm-hmm. um but it means that you can only grow a certain rate of speed because you can only finance so much so we're always balancing what can we do how fast can we grow part of me wants to run free and and just do everything and part of me says yes Hold but back. I, I do yeah. like to be able to be the one calling the shots, shots. every morning, uh-huh. but it's been um, it's been an awesome experience for me. A woman in the steel industry. Mm-hmm. I started doing this in the '80s. Uh, originally, they thought I was sort of a joke, and and of course, I did. Um, I always do my homework, mm-hmm. and so I tried to become the smartest person around on whatever it was that I was working on, mm-hmm. and and gained respect of of all the folks that I worked with in the industry and as we became international because we started out doing 100 percent domestic manufacturing as we became more international that added in the issue of cultures right um and uh that also opened my eyes and i learned that everything has to be dealt with in uh different ways in different countries and depending on whether you're there or they're here or there are so many nuances to how you negotiate, for example. So it's been an interesting journey. You mentioned um, that it spans internationally. I can only imagine the experience that you have in different countries being such a strong woman leader. So I tip my hat to you for kind of charting those waters. I know that can be difficult sometimes. 
Um, I guess I'd like to ask you a, a similar question to what we asked Deborah when the 16-year-old Terry was growing up and kind of getting her feet wet and what she might like to do for the rest of her life. Did you ever think that you would be headed in the direction that you are today? Absolutely. When I was 12, um, I knew that I wanted to be a CEO. Um, I, I couldn't tell you why, but I always liked to be in charge. Uh, I My first job was in, in the summer cleaning motel rooms at a little beach motel in Northern California, and, and I did it really good. And the next summer, I got to go to the brand new motel in town, and and then I graduated from that to Taco Bell. So we there both we, go. we love Taco Bell. <laughs> we 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 both were um, Taco Bell queens, and and we were both darn good at what we did. Okay. And I think that's really the key to whatever you're taking on. Do whatever you're doing well, and not enough can be said for starting at the bottom and working mm-hmm. up. The, the employees who are the most value, valuable to me are the utility players who have worked in multiple roles. They've learned everything that they could, and they know as many aspects of the business mm-hmm. as possible. So um, whatever position we're hiring for, we're always looking for that little extra that mm-hmm. will allow them to expand and grow in other areas. Mm-hmm. I'd say the same thing. There's a, a lot to be said for someone that, that works their way from the bottom to the top. They Absolutely. have such a rich appreciation. Mm-hmm. And they're so much more dependable, I feel, because they understand all facets of the industry as a whole. Well, and as a leader, probably one of the key values of that is I have a very sensitive BS meter. And I may not be an engineer, but I, I manage a lot of engineers. Mm-hmm. I may not be a machinist, but I manage a lot of machinists. Mm-hmm. I, I have had to learn a lot of technical things, mostly because we screw it up, you know. <laughs> you got to figure it out I, along yeah, the way. Yeah. Right. It, when wrong. you screw it up, it really, and, and you have a good process for root cause analysis, mm-hmm. that really does allow you to create better um, systems going systems, forward. So. Yeah. So I've been around enough that we've solved a lot of problems and uh, we're, we're getting reasonably good getting at better. it. Um, we were talking a little bit about Deborah's participation on boards and you have quite the list of boards that you participate on. Talk to me a little bit about the port- importance of giving back um, in your world in addition to balancing that with the, the role that you have within CAB. Okay, well, when I moved to Georgia in 1996 my intention I had lived in I was originally from Northern California I lived in Texas for about 12 years I loved it there the small towns where we have our factory now but uh, my intention when I became a minority shareholder was when I became a majority shareholder to move the company to Texas but as I got here in Georgia and began to see the resources first of all the, the quality of life is incredible. I, Lake Lanier is just a jewel Heavenly. in the yes. crown of, of the state. Um, the trees coming from, I, I was from East Texas where mm-hmm. there were pine trees. I was from Northern California where we had very few deciduous. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have fall and, and the four seasons like right. we do here. Uh, I also found that I was able to find technical, legal, accounting resources here that could reach internationally and deal with all any issue that came up i could typically find somebody with the skill here or they were connected to the skill uh, quickly Mm -hmm. and so those kinds of business resources have been incredible for for us and then of course the international airport Mm -hmm. so when you add and in in gwinnett where you have the strong commitment to quality of life in general the the parks the walking trails Mm -hmm. the town centers that are being developed it's it's an incredible place to be so i realized that in order for me to attract the best people i wanted to be engaged in helping with the quality of life Mm -hmm. and that meant community involvement i've always been a strong supporter of the chamber wherever i've been Mm -hmm. located and that's where i started but i've gotten involved in in several other things i've been on the gwinnett medical board um, for quite a while now i'm on the north side board we went through at least four years of um, agony in getting a a merger done with Northside, selecting a partner, evaluating what we thought the system needed, what the community needed, what it was going to take to be able to provide the best services for the community and generations to come. We we made a a fabulous deal. It took forever to get regulatory and and legal approvals. All the while, we we could not um, discuss what was going on behind Mm. the scenes. So the world was looking in from the outside saying, 
What's what are you on? fools doing? Yeah. Let's take it so long. <laughs> right. So it was um, excruciatingly painful, but it is one of the things that I'm most proud of in my uh, community service role. And I'm, and I'm really excited to be a part of the Northside Board, and there's a lot of great things coming our way. The other thing, I, I'm involved in a, a whole yes. flurry of boards, uh-huh. but the other one that I really love is I'm the chairman of the board of the Lake Linear Islands Development Authority, and that's the authority that oversees all the, the development that's done on the islands. So the folks who are running the hotels mm-hmm. and Margaritaville and, and adding things as we right. speak out there, um, we kind of have oversight responsibility for that. And mm-hmm. in my role, I want to be a big cheerleader to our partners who are spending that those development dollars. Right. So I'm trying to encourage them to, to stay as engaged as possible mm-hmm. in their investment strategy. And I'm trying to help make sure that we're finding sustainable operations that can maximize the use of those resources because it's so fabulous out there. And enhance the community as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the latest one that I've been involved in, which I think you, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, is Cat Rangers, yes. a, a rescue and adoption center for cats in, in downtown Buford. And I, I'm a cat lover. Uh, I admit it. I've, I've gotten, I think, three cats now from their rescue center. And Sparrow Marcioni, who founded it, has done a remarkable job mm-hmm. building that place. And she adopts out around 50 cats a month. Wow. They, they have in their center up there mm-hmm. 50 to 60 cats at a time. And you can go in and hang out on their sofas and, and play with the yeah, cats yeah. and visit. Read a book. And then she has foster homes for about 70 others that is are raising kittens. And I, I am so amazed at the work that they do mm-hmm. that when a friend of mine who I won't name but who owes me um, contacted me and said (laughs) we know somebody who has a a feral colony at a warehouse and and he sold the warehouse and there's and the owners the new owners are going to pave over it and there's no place for the cats and so I contacted Sparrow and and she mobilized a team of folks to come in and trap 30 cats wow and we had no place to take them so we brought them to my office uh-huh downstairs in my basement right? yeah. we put cages in uh-huh. there and we had 30 cats come in we had a mobile vet uh, outside in the parking lot spaying and, and neutering neuter. over that day and then we would we took some of the smaller kittens and placed them in fosters but we ended up with 15 of the wilder ones um that we decided to build a kitio outside my office in back mm-hmm. it's under a covered balcony area and it's a 15 by 30 thing and so we have 15 cats at my office that we're socializing uh-huh. so that they can become adoptable and that's uh, therapeutic for all the people that work and in I your do office. have several yeah. cat people who go down and, and just and help spend so. their lunch break and so relax I, I didn't mean to be that involved but now that I am involved there's such a huge need mm-hmm. and I want to help Sparrow um, take the organization to the next, next level. level so mm-hmm. i'm going to get more active in helping her build a board and, and an organization and mm-hmm. so and now you are are the recipient of one of the cats that you just mentioned i noticed that <laughs> you brought home a casper oh, our, our prince of persia prince of persia he was a rescue from um doha qatar the, mm-hmm. in the middle east and wow you would think in fact, somebody asked me the other day, why are you rescuing cats in Qatar when we got cats in Gwinnett that <laughs> need rescuing? Well, they, I do. I mean, I'm adopting cats off my porch all the time. Yeah. We're taking them to get them fixed. But, uh, so I pay a lot of attention in Gwinnett. But in the case of Qatar, they, um, they have a lot of cats who have been released as folks go over for contracts for two to three years. And they bring their pets and they leave them. Or they get them there and then leave oh. them and put them out on the street. But the city of doha um, keeps the streets very clean and they don't allow people to feed these strays mm. so as fast as they're getting fed the street cleaners are out there every Picking few hours yeah. cleaning it up so there's groups who are rescuing these cats bringing them <sighs> home and in the case of casper who's the most beautiful mm-hmm. loving he version i love seeing him on your face oh back. my <laughs> gosh he is i i can't believe him but he's ferocious <laughs> um he, he loves to play uh-huh 
but there was a professor who teaches apparently here in Atlanta, plus he teaches in Qatar. Mm -hmm. He goes back and forth a couple times a year, and each time he travels, he brings four or five cats back. Wow. And there are several rescues who pick them up. So That's so, amazing. Yeah, it is. See, you're saving lives across... across. I did not mean <laughs> to, to take Casper home. I took Mike Salmon oh, he meant for, for a to tour, home. and casper adopted in. me and there was no way i couldn't love at first yeah. sight yeah well yes. i enjoy seeing your posts um thank about you. casper thank you he, he seems mild-mannered on all of your posts i yeah, can't well, tell that's he's about ferocious. five percent of the time <laughs> and then you see him race down the hall and slide around the corner like tom cruise uh -huh. he's a tornado well i'm so glad to hear that you're so passionate and enthusiastic about all the boards that you participate on and especially cat rangers as well um we are proud to have cat rangers as one of our sub sponsors here before we go, I wanted to remind everybody that Celebrating Powerhouse Women is presented by CAB Incorporated and also brought to you in part by Cat Rangers. Cat Rangers is saving lives of cats and kittens one paw at a time. They are the special forces of cat rescue and all of their felines recover in their lovely home-like center in Buford while they wait to find their forever homes. Cat Rangers is growing rapidly and is always seeking financial and volunteer support. Please contribute by visiting catrangers.org today. All right, and for your convenience, we do have a button on our page at Business Radio X. So if you're out there and you'd like to make a contribution, please visit businessradiox.com and click on the Cat Rangers logo, and it'll take you right to the donation page. Awesome. Yes, so Aww, exciting. That's and Sparrow has been a guest <laughs> on the show before, so she shared the great word, and we are enthusiastic about helping these kitties find homes. So hopefully collaboratively, we'll be able to make a difference. Great, before great. we depart, is there anything that you'd like to leave the audience with before we say sayonara? No, it's been fun doing this with yeah, Deborah. though. Yes, yes. I loved having that you were friends, and it, it kind of made things nice and easy for our first segment. You did great, Amanda. Thank you very much. Very I wanted very to nice. thank you both, Terry and Deborah, for joining us. And I wanted to thank everybody out there for joining us for our first ever Celebrating Powerhouse Women series on Business Radio X. Remember, you can listen to our live broadcast every Friday at 11.30 a.m. on businessradiox.com by selecting the Gwinnett Studio. Our shows are available 24-7 online on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app. Please stay connected with us on social media at Gwinnett Radio X. And until next time, I am your host, Amanda Pierch, and this has been Celebrating Powerhouse Women on Business Radio X.